Wednesday. It's also Valentine's Day. Whatever that means to you. I mean, for some people, it's awesome. And for other people who are men, it's like, oh, boy, again. Um, are you doing anything with your wife? Yeah, we're going out with another couple tonight. We're going to go see a movie. Oh, cool. One of those sit down and eat food at a movie theater place. Oh, I love those. So I've never been to one like that. It's and I'm, I, it's, I've i avoided them. I've avoided them for a long time because of the the stop eating while I'm watching my movie feeling that I get a lot of times. I actually watched uh, the movie 50 50. You remember the cancer movie? With, yeah. Uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt and, and Seth, Seth Rogen. Yeah. Uh, there was a woman eating a Granny Smith apple next to me. No. Now, don't get me wrong. That's the worst. I love me an apple, but that is the most inappropriate movie food. That's not the <laughs> yes. most. It's no. one of the most inappropriate movie foods you can ever I would ever think have. it's the worst because of the crunch. No. It's like a giant crunch. Crunchy kimchi is the worst because of the crunch and the smell. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but anyway, um, a little bit later next hour when we get into Swamp Watch, we're going to be talking about a couple of things, including the oversight panel that has launched an investigation into the Rob Porter situation, why it is the White House gave this guy a job if the FBI came back with information that he was a domestic abuser, at least allegedly a domestic abuser. Also, one of the president's longtime attorneys has admitted he is the one who paid porn star Stormy Daniels $130,000, but he hasn't said why. So anyway, that's coming up uh, all a little bit later in the show. Yesterday, we talked with Andrew Molenbeek about this federal judge and this now ongoing hearing that he has been holding about the homeless problem in Orange County, specifically along the Santa Ana River Trail. One of the things we said that the uh, judge was going to do was he was going to have a uh, field trip. It turns out earlier today he did have the field trip. And uh, Orange County Supervisor Todd Spitzer was with him. He actually talked with Handel about what was going on on that field trip this morning. So I'm looking at the Honda Center. I'm at Ball Road on the now on the east side of the riverbed. We've walked the entire length, starting at six o'clock this morning, and we're still going of the riverbed. So we've walked all the way from Orangewood up to Ball. So we passed the Angel Stadium and the Arctic Transportation Center and the Honda Center. And you know, I was very worried about judicial activism, but I'm telling you, he is uh, coaxing everybody to a deal. And I'm just very proud of the progress we've made in the last 24 hours. All right. Andrew Mullenbeck now joins us. And uh, you've been in court this morning as well, waiting for things to get started back up. What uh, what do you think was the result of this field trip from today? Well, I think everybody was really impressed with the judge. Uh, we talked about yesterday how hands-on he is, uh, really running the hearing yesterday like a workshop. Got everybody in there, told other people to get on the phone, call those people, get them in there. Because he really wanted to work out a solution to this encampment along the Santa Ana River. So he said that he was going to uh, show up and go on the tour, and, and obviously you played a little bit of that there. But in talking with some uh, county agencies and others who were down there with the judge, is they can't believe he's literally been going up person to person and talking with people who live at the encampment. Uh, what do you need? What are you struggling with? That sort of thing. Originally, the court was supposed to start again at 8 o'clock this morning, 
It has not started yet because this field trip has been going on so long, and at least what I'm told is uh, one of the primary reasons. I think he sat on the button. That's unfortunate. Andrew Mullenbeck there. Uh, One of the things that we're going to talk about in the context of this homelessness for a very long time is why it is that people are out there. And I'm hoping that the judge, in the context of these conversations that he's having with people in the tents along the Santa Ana River Trail, is why it is that they are out there and what it would take for them to get out of there. Not, Not to get a job or a house or an apartment, but... To, to determine, uh, we as a society have to determine what's our answer to homelessness. Is it just putting it in a place that we don't see? Or is it actual, some sort of actionable thing where someone can get a job, can sustain themselves, can afford housing, that sort of thing? Because each of those questions, or I should say each of those answers to that question, comes with a whole different set of criteria for what it is that we have to do. So you've got a, a couple of different reasons why people would be homeless, of course. And I don't know if they're telling the judge this or not, but you have people who are homeless by circumstance. The economy has been bad for them. They've lost a couple of jobs. They have been bankrupted by health problems or something like that. All of these things could be potential answers to that. The other one is homeless by choice, which you have to admit there is a number of people who are out there. All right, Andrew, pick it back up from where we left off. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of the conversation you got to hear, but essentially uh, what was supposed to happen this morning was that court was going to resume at 8 o'clock. We knew that the judge wanted to go down there. And again, yesterday, as we were talking about uh, the hands-on approach that he had in in getting everybody from all these agencies and lawyers together in the room, calling others to tell them to show up to court to say, hey, look, we got to solve the problem and we have to do it now. And then part of the second day thing was that he was going to go down, the judge, uh, and take a look at the homeless encampment himself. That wasn't supposed to take a long time. Uh, The expectation was that he was going to be back in court this morning. Well, what's happened is this hands-on approach has uh, once again uh, showed up along the riverbed. And I'm told with people who are, uh, by people who are walking with him this morning, that he's going person to person who live at the encampment and just asking them, what needs do you have? What are you struggling with? How long have you been there? Just trying to get to know them. So he's literally, there are hundreds of people who still stay down there, and he's really just going person to person to get to know them. And along with him, various agencies, lawyers, uh, many of whom yesterday said they've actually never been down there. So it's the first experience for them. Uh, But that's what's been going on this morning. The the court hearing has been on hold while everybody does kind of a meet and greet down at the homeless encampment. It almost sounds like, I mean, the You've said it, uh, Todd Spitzer said it this morning, Handel referred to it, Johnny Kenner referred to this, that this judge is stepping far beyond the bounds of what a federal judge would be required to do in this case. Um, are we concerned that's going to cause some problems to whatever solution he comes up with? Not from the parties that have been in court. Uh, they're the ones that are really praising this. I don't know if there would be some sort of outside challenge, but everybody who's been in court I've talked with them after the hearing, and they're all just kind of raving about what they've seen, Uh, whether it was Supervisor Andrew Doe, who I spoke to, uh, Supervisor Spitzer, who we've also had on the air. Uh, They're all just amazed, as much as the reporters saying, I've never seen anything like this, really, again, yesterday, turning that courtroom into a workshop, and then uh, today kind of making it like a school field trip, taking everybody from the courtroom down there uh, to see what the issues are, uh, really trying to find a solution. I I know... 
Uh, maybe some people have hinted at, is this uh, stepping too far for the judicial branch? Well, essentially what's happening is he's looking at uh, the county and all the cities that have been talking about this issue for a very long time, and nothing seems to have gotten done, at least nothing that can pass muster in court. So uh, he's kind of gotten everybody together and saying, well, uh, I'll lead it and we'll get something done. And, and that's what's playing out now. As far as the county's plan, we had this marathon session in court yesterday that ended up just before nine o'clock last night. So it was, uh, I guess, 13 hours from the start to the end with a couple of breaks in there. And what's going to happen, according to the county right now, is they are going to go forward with the clearing out of the homeless encampment starting next Tuesday. But that is only going to happen by virtue of their handing out hotel or motel vouchers and setting up additional tent beds. Uh, so they're going to pop up up to four locations. They're going to add additional beds and also hand out hotel vouchers. And because they're doing that, they're going to be allowed to, at least the thinking is at this point, to start for the first time really clearing out that encampment Tuesday. Yeah. All right. Well, it's, it's just weird to think that this is going to go on. I mean, this was supposed to be a hearing on whether or not they could do whether or not the sheriff's department could actually go through and oust these people. This is going to well, take days, it sounds like. Well, and, and the real rub was whether the people had the right to be there. But if they didn't have the right to be there, what were their alternatives? Because uh, repeatedly yesterday, the judge was saying, I don't believe people have a right to live there. But I also don't believe they can be kicked out if they're only going to be arrested for setting up their tents in another city. And so while he didn't make a ruling on this TRO, the temporary restraining order, that was kind of the, the undercurrent yesterday is saying, I'm not going to let you do this unless you can assure the people on the riverbed that they have a place to sleep at night, at least temporarily. Yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you. You got it. Mullen back there who has been in the uh, courtroom as they wait to get back to this this discussion about what it is that we're going to do about homeless people along the Santa Ana River Trail, I just don't I don't know if what's going to happen if whatever um, cobbled together solution they have does anything to solve this ongoing and lengthy problem. But I mean, I guess you got to credit the guy for trying. Although I just don't know legally if that's the right thing to do. Uh, when we come back, a great '90s hip hop song called "Body Mix Up." Have you heard that one? I haven't. Straight out of Orange County. We'll talk about what's going on in the coroner's office and why they can't figure it out. And the old song. It's all coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, the LAPD has been using a, uh, a new crime-fighting tool. We'll tell you why some people don't like it right after the bottom of the hour. And Chris Carlo is going to join us. Speaking of cops, Chris Carlo got a uh, hands-on training down in Orange County. And, uh, man, it, it was uh, having seen many of these, a heart-pounding experiment, shall we say. You'll so, get a preview at 11.30. Excellent. And yeah. he, sh- he shot a bunch of people, didn't he? I think. <laughs> so, anyway, we'll talk about that. I, I wanted to bring this body mix-up story to you. It- 
Reminds me of that old 90s hip-hop song called Body Mix-Up. Body Mix-Up. Body Mix-Up. Body Mix-Up. Body Body Mix-Up. Orange County Sheriff. I like it. Thank you. The Orange County Sheriff's Corner has yet to explain how it is they screwed up the ID on a homeless man found dead behind a phone store last May. So it turns out that they are being sued, the sheriff coroner in Orange County, by the family of one of the three people who's now mixed up in all of this. Now, follow along, if you will. There's a body that shows up behind a Verizon store, a Verizon store, that is, in uh, Fountain Valley. And originally... They identified a homeless man as 57-year-old Frankie Kerrigan. Went through the unfortunate process of explaining to his family how he was found uh, in a mess, basically, it turns out, in this phone, behind this phone store in Fountain Valley. And what they're saying is that there is actually a guy named John Dickens who's 54 that he was, in fact, the man who was found. It's weird because the original ID, Frankie Kerrigan, showed up 11 days later after he had been buried. Well, they exhumed the body of John Dickens, the second ID that they had, and his cremated ashes were sent to his family in Kansas for burial. But now, Frankie Kerrigan's family, remember, they're the ones who got the original notification that their their friend, their father, Frankie, had died. They're saying that there's now a third person who was involved in all of this body mix-up. And that that misidentification of the original body, that it wasn't a mistake, it was a cover-up. They said that Dickens' body was chosen originally. They substituted Dickens' body for that of the unknown man, to cover up the original identification screw-up. And the claim is, in this lawsuit, that the coroner believed nobody would care because the two guys, the two bodies that they had, were homeless. The lawsuit says that John Dickens' body was not the body that was recovered at the Verizon store. Instead, there was an unknown third individual that was found behind that Fountain Valley Verizon store. Francis Kerrigan, Frankie's mother, sorry, Francis is Frankie's father, said it's a horror show on top of a horror show. Now, Frankie Kerrigan, the guy that they originally identified, was was mentally ill. He was homeless way back in his 40s, but the family has stayed close. They said that he's currently in a shelter and that Frankie is not cognizant enough to know what's going on. They don't know whose body it was that was actually pulled from the phone store in Fountain Valley or why they said it was Frankie Kerrigan in the first place. In fact, there were problems with it from the beginning. Frankie Kerrigan weighs, when he's soaking wet, 170 pounds. The body they pulled from behind the store, 250. In fact, when they said, hey, this is your, this is your son or your brother, would you like to send some clothes for the burial? The clothes didn't fit. That should have been a clue. 
the coroner told the Kerrigans that their son's fingerprints matched the body. And the office told them that they found her brother's identification card. Obvious untruths, since that was not Frankie Kerrigan. So this weird story, uh, the, the family eventually had a Catholic funeral and buried the body near the grave of Frankie Kerrigan and Carol Michael's mother, which is a, a sickening thing to then have it exhumed and sent off to some other family, but thankful enough that that's not, your, that's not who you thought it was, that your son or brother is still alive. So it's just a strange lawsuit and that there's three people now in this body mix-up makes it even weirder. All right. Uh, the LAPD and their new crime-fighting tool being criticized for uh, by activists who say that this has got to stop. It's just too secretive. All of that is coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Happy uh, Ash Wednesday. Happy Valentine's Day. Shannon's out today. She'll be back tomorrow after a quick vacation. Hey, the uh, city councilman in Pico Rivera was asked to resign last night. He's also the high school teacher, the one who was making denigrating comments about the military and the mental acuity of our armed forces. Well, he has uh, been asked to resign. He says he won't. He gave sort of a half-assed apology last night. And just seemed to show disdain for the people who were uh, who showed up to uh, to explain why his comments were ridiculous. But um, and it's not the first time he said stupid stuff. But this guy Gregory Salcedo needs to be gone, and hopefully they can recall him, get him out of the city council. The uh, LAPD has a uh, has a program that's been working for several years now. I think since 2011, and it's called the. Los Angeles Strategic Extraction and Restoration Program, uh, LASER. And they say they call it LASER because it zeroes in on bad guys and bad places. It's one of the newer law enforcement tools that combines some old-school gumshoe information card-style data with supercomputers and wildly intelligent algorithms that none of us understand to come up with information that cops can use, street-level intelligence that cops can use to be in places where crime is most likely to happen and to be around the people that are most likely to commit those crimes. You could you pair this Operation Laser with the super-fast computer platform Palantir, and you've got basically a high, high-level computer-aided crime-fighting tool that is, I guess you could say, sort of along the lines of the pre-crime Minority Report movie, if you've seen that or read the book. But there are people who hate this thing. There's a lawsuit that was filed yesterday in L.A. Superior Court on behalf of a group called the Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. They want a bunch of information. They say that there was a Freedom of Information Act, sorry, a Public Records Act request, because it's state, from May of last year that the LAPD never gave any of the information from. According to the lawsuit, 
the individuals are identified as Operation Laser targets through secretive, predetermined criteria. The LAPD doesn't tell them that they've been targeted. Do you know why? Do you know why? You know why? We don't tell bad guys when we're watching them or else they stop doing the bad things that they were doing. There's also no known mechanism to request removal from the system, although there are policies in place in the program that if someone hasn't committed a crime in more than six months, they be removed from the list. It's not a requirement, but it is an encouragement, I think is the way to put it. So what these activists are seeking, this um, the, uh, the group called Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, they want to know what criteria the department is using to target these people. They want to see the names of all databases that the computer platform Palantir searches through in the creation of its chronic offender bulletin, which is opened up on these targeted individuals. And what they're saying is that we're going back to an old-timey collecting intelligence on people without telling them that intelligence is being collected on them. David Carter is a former police officer and actually is a uh, an expert on criminal justice and police surveillance, works at uh, Mizzou, well, works at Michigan State, not Mizzou. And he says he can understand the concerns of a group like Stop LAPD Spying Coalition because... Yeah, if if there's not a lot of information out there and you're concerned that for some reason you're being spied upon without due process, yeah, there could be some constitutional issues that are brought up. But police are doing their due diligence and their actions are based on reasonable suspicion. This is not just somebody saying, I think Blake's haircut is horrendous and therefore he may be prone to committing a crime. But for the record, it's not. What is it? It's haircut. It's good. Oh, I got two. I got two number ones from from Blake for that. But it's not that simple. These are most often times uh, already people who have been charged and convicted of crimes, charged with and convicted of crimes. So it's not like we're getting new people. Now, the ACLU will tell you once someone has served their time for whatever crime they committed, then they should be left off the hook, right? And to a certain degree, I agree with that. But in reality, it's more common for people who have been convicted of crimes to go on and commit other crimes. Why it is they don't understand that or want to accept that, I don't get. A guy named, I'm assuming a man, Cade Crockford, which is a perfect ACLU name, Cade Crockford says people who have paid their debts to society shouldn't remain stigmatized in the eyes of police. Uh, I, I kind of I want them to be. People who have paid their debt to society usually did something wrong. That's why they paid their debt to society. That's why they owe something to us, to you, Cade. They owe something to you. Just because the program uses the CIA's technology doesn't mean that it's automatically bad. Now, I don't know why the LAPD hasn't given up the information. I don't know if there's a staffing issue. They don't have enough people to put together the information that's being asked for. Or it is so secretive that they don't want to give away their, uh, they don't want to show their hand here. 
Uh, but it seems to me like a worthless lawsuit. I, I doubt this is going to go anywhere, and I doubt that the LAPD is going to be forced to give up information about this. This is not the LAPD is not the only one that uses it. Burbank police use a similar program to this, where they will put police cars in certain areas where they know crime has been committed before, car theft, burglary, whatever it is, and that reduces crime. So weird how that happens, and so weird how we want that to happen. All right, we come back. Terror in the skies. Everyone has a story like this nightmare story from, where was it? From Germany to New York. That's a lengthy flight. And when one kid ruins it for everybody, you know it's a bad flight. Tell you what happened on this flight, this Lufthansa flight from Germany to New York in August of last year. Gary and Shannon will continue. of next hour when we get into Swamp Watch. Man, this is uh, this whole Stormy Daniels thing is getting quite a quite some heat under it right now. The longtime attorney for President Trump admitted that he did pay the porn star $130,000 during the campaign. He hasn't said why, but that may be enough to completely discount the non-disclosure agreement that she had apparently signed. So she may be telling her story very quickly. Uh, all right. It's time for an update on our terror in the skies. Flight 209er, you are cleared for takeoff. Roger. Get off my plane. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Enough is enough! I have had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday party! It's Gary and Shannon's Terror in the Skies on KFI. Oh, boy. I think everybody has a story about the kid, the one kid that was screaming on the flight. This is one that is going to blow your mind. A passenger, a New York City artist named Shane Townley, recorded a toddler. Uh, Based on the video that I saw, this looks like he's about four. Eight-hour flight on Lufthansa from Germany into Newark. The four-year-old boy screamed for of the eight hours just take a wild guess how many of the hours he screamed for eight nine oh uh if you count the if you count the time that they were on the ground in germany and the time that they landed and deplaned in newark the boy's mother was not identified in any of this you can clearly tell from her accent she's american uh attempted to soothe her son by asking a flight attendant before they took off hey can we get the wi-fi going so i can start up the ipad well here's the assumption they did get the wi-fi going while in flight they did get the ipad going and still the kid is screaming Now, she's also got a baby in her arms who's maybe 18 months, two years old, just based on the looks of it. The video is about five minutes long, and Shane has edited this thing down to include titles, things like, Mom lets the kid do whatever he wants throughout the flight. And then he writes, Hour number four. Kids in the aisle now. This is four hours into the flight. 
and the kid's running up and down the aisle of the airplane doing this. Now, there's two, there's two reactions to this. Number one is, what kind of parent would allow this to happen? You know, this, are terrified uh-huh. to, you know, to scold their children for acting like this, right? But here's the other one, and this is what I thought of when, I, when I'm listening to this. Any normal kid would scream like that for a good 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes on the outset and then be exhausted and then probably fall asleep short of some sort of a sinus infection that causes pain in their head. There is a strong chance that this kid is somewhere on the spectrum. Let's just let's just assume for a second that he's autistic and probably doesn't have a whole lot of control over what's going on and is terrified or overstimulated or whatever it is for for 8 hours on this flight. It doesn't say anything in the video and this the the different uh, people who talked, I guess, or the different people that you can hear on the flight. No one goes to help the mom. And I know in my reaction, the first reaction would probably be uh, turn on those uh, sound-canceling headphones and, and see if I could drown it out. You cannot drown out some of this. <laughs> Come on. They, you can't drown that out, especially when he's running up and down the aisle right next to you. One of the captions that the guy put up was uh, the mom telling the flight attendant, hey, let's get the Wi-Fi up so we can get the iPad right. going. And didn't work. They haven't, they haven't even taken off yet. so Didn't work. <laughs> Sad. But if she's having, I mean, if she's already cradling a, a two-year-old or whatever in her arms while trying to corral this kid, it's never going to work. So not only is she flustered and embarrassed by all of this, no one is coming to her aid here. Like I said, my reaction would have been to turn on the sound deadening headphones. My wife's reaction would have been to go and ask the mom. Is there anything I can do to help? Do you want me to hold your baby? I'll sit in your seat, hold your baby, while you go take care of that, because I know that this is a difficult thing. I wish Shannon was here, because we could get her take on this. Uh, <laughs> not sure I would want to know exactly what she would have. But. She, would, she would have offered some sort of tranquilizer. Right. She would have just slipped <laughs> it in the kid's mouth as he passed by. Yeah. He's running around yeah. screaming, and she just... She just okay. Yeah. She just hey, throws kid, it in the mouth. Do you mouth. want some candy? It's called Ambien. uh boy by hour seven he says the screaming had not abated it was only on landing and disembarking that the passengers were able to finally escape the noise eight my god hours eight hours and she didn't say anything like the mom i think it had had the mom said something i would have been embarrassed i mean well it's 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 horribly embarrassing when your kid cries my kids have cried on airplanes before and i want i just guys i'm sorry just it it's not going to last very long he's going to cry for two minutes and then he'll be out Mm. for the rest of the flight but it's embarrassing now had she said something like uh i apologize for this he uh he's overstimulated or he's you know he he doesn't do well in situations like this People would kind of give her some grace, I'm sure, and come to her aid, which nobody did, but she didn't say any of that stuff. It's not incumbent upon her to do that. I think we should all have some humanity, but that would have been a nightmare. Oh, eight hours. All right. Shannon's back tomorrow, by the way. All of what's trending next on Gary and Shannon.